Why hello there, future fans! Do I sound a little different? That's because with the help of Snarf Chris, I figured out how to use my soundboard. So what do you think of this new sound? Does the new mic sound better, sound worse? Let me know. If you have opinions, let me know. Other than that, we have a slower movie week than normal, but we do have one really big one, and we have a couple that look pretty good, but will unfortunately be lost in the shuffle. We also have the regular news and trailers. It is the week of October 6th, and this is episode 61 of Future Flicks with Billiam. Well, welcome to the show, everyone. I've actually had a busy day today where I hardly played any Destiny. No, no, what I did today is I recorded the first episode of a new podcast I'm working on. And you know what? It went about as well as Disneyland's opening, which is to say, we had our problems, but we made it. I'll talk more about the show when it's ready to drop because we... Recorded our first episode, had a little bit of quality problems, the next one's going to be a little better, but I want to have three or four episodes set before we start releasing them. It's going to be a bi-weekly podcast, which means we're going to have it every two weeks, not twice a week, because that'd be crazy, so every two weeks, just like Somewhat Nerdy Radio. Well, let's not skip our usual introduction. So welcome everyone to Future Flicks with Billiam. If you are new, welcome to the show, and I'm going to explain all about what we do here in just a moment. But if you are not new, if you are a returning listener, thank you and welcome back. So what is FutureFlix and what do we do here? And by we, I just mean me because this is FutureFlix with Billiam and I alone host this show where I discuss all the movies coming out during the week. I say what they're about, who's in them, and then I give my thoughts on them. And then I give a score called the Billiam's Interest Level Score or the Bill Score. And that's always based on the trailer and sometimes any news or things I've learned about the movie. Each week I also have the Pick of the Week, which is... If I go see a movie, it is going to be that movie. Some of the time, especially recently, my picks have been very predictable. It's just been the biggest movie of the week, but sometimes I throw in another one out there that I really like, that I think looks good, and sometimes I have two picks, and I'll switch it around a bit. So also on Future Flicks, I go over all of the news I noticed and any trailers that stood out to me. So let's start, as always, with the news. It's official, we're getting another Men in Black movie. This coming to us from The Independent. We know a few things about this. The first is that Will Smith will not be returning for this film, and it will not be the promised Men in Black 21 Jump Street crossover. That's right, if you remember after 22 Jump Street, there was the idea thrown out that the next Jump Street movie, 23 Jump Street, would be a crossover with Men in Black, where our two favorite bumbling cops make their way into the Alien game. The article also says this is going to be like Jurassic World. The article states that it will take place in the same world and acknowledge the history of the previous films, but have a new story and cast. 
I honestly think that's the best way to do it. Don't try to recast Will Smith or Tommy Lee Jones. Don't try to do anything with some time tomfoolery and say, oh, it's still us. We're just in different bodies now. And it's the, you know, the future. No, just have different characters and it will be hopefully good. And bad news, everyone. Sarah Jessica Parker confirmed that Sex and the City 3 is canceled. I know. I know, terrible news. This coming from CNN of all places. She claims that they had a beautiful, funny, heartbreaking, joyful, and very relatable story that they just won't get to do. If you remember, this was a TV show about Charlotte, Miranda, and their two friends, the gold digger, Carrie, and the whore, Samantha. Because let's be honest, Charlotte and Miranda were the only good characters in that show. Carrie was a terrible main character, and Samantha was just a gigantic slut. According to The Wrap, in indie box office news, Victoria and Abdul and Loving Vincent are doing very well. Victoria and Abdul made $1 million off 77 screens, and Loving Vincent made $52,000 off only four screens. While these movies didn't make a lot of money, a million dollars as far as movies go isn't big, but seeing as they did that off such a small number of screens is very impressive, especially 50000 on four screens. In other news, John McClane will grace the silver screen again. This time, two actors will be playing the famous terrorist fighting cop. That's right, you may have heard back in 2015, Die Hard Year One was announced, but now it's actually moving forward. Bruce Willis will return to play the well-known cop, but most of the movie will take place in flashbacks that focus on a younger John McClane. This sounds like it's going to be a mess, but I can't wait. It may be a beautiful mess. This according to The Telegraph again. In Halloween news, no, not the holiday, but the movie, it's been confirmed that John Carpenter is a key producer for the new movie that's being written and directed by David Gordon Green, who directed Pineapple Express, and also co-written by Danny McBride. That's right, Danny McBride is co-writing this. In older news that some of you may already know, Jamie Lee Curtis is returning. So I'm hoping that she actually survived the events of Halloween Resurrection in some really stupid Michael Myers sort of way. You know, for a while in the series, every time Michael Myers survived, it was logical. Like someone nursed him back to health after he was shot, or he did suffer a lot of burns, but someone didn't know who he was and helped him. So I hope Laurie Strode survives in a similar way. Like she's hanging from that chain or whatever. I, however, she tried to kill Michael, but he turned it around on her. So, you know, he stabs her and she falls down off the building. Maybe a branch catches her and stops her fall. And uh, someone from the insane asylum she was in sees her and she gets help. Let's go over the weekend box office numbers, shall we? We haven't done that in a while. We have a surprise, my friends. Weekend before last saw The Kingsman 2 overtake It, but this week the tables have turned as It won the weekend with $17.3 million. American Made, the new Tom Cruise film, came in second with $17,016,000, and Kingsman 2 drops to third place with $17 million, so just barely behind the other two movies. In Cape Crusader news, Batman is getting an animated movie directed by Afro Samurai creator Takashi Okazaki. This is called Batman Ninja and reimagines the Cape Crusader as, wait for it, a ninja. This according to Slash Film. And in further news that Rotten Tomatoes critics are as 
Flatliners has a pitiful 3% on the tomato meter, but has an audience score of 42%. Okay, sure, 42% is still failing. That's still a quote-unquote rotten movie, but that is a huge difference. So remember, folks, just like Critter reiterated on Watch Your Mouth, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes for your recommendations for some stupid-ass reason, pay attention to the audience score and not the critic score. It's a critic's job to tear sh** down and tell you what's wrong with it, while actual fans will tell you what's good about the movie as well. And finally in the news, you have heard that celebrities die in threes. Well, unfortunately we have four. We've already heard about Hugh Hefner and Tom Petty, but since then, Actually, on the 3rd of October, we had Timothy Quill pass away. He was only 54. He was known for movies like Argo and Hamburger Hill. And also, actor Chuck Lowe has passed away. He was known for his role in Goodfellas. So that's crazy. Oh, and in news I've almost forgotten to mention, there is a Hugh Hefner biopic in the works with Jared Leto set to play Hugh Hefner. And to this I say... Sure, I'll watch it. I'm a Jared Leto fan. But ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the news this episode. Let's mosey on over to the trailer trove. Avast, and welcome to the trailer trove. All right. We have a trailer for a movie called Act of Vengeance. This is a standard revenge movie. We've seen it before, but if this is your type of film, it could be put on your list. This stars Antonio Banderas as a guy whose wife and child were killed, and he goes on the warpath to find their killer. It also stars Carl Urban and Paz Vega. And whatever happened to Carl Urban? Because I remember for a while he was really big. Well, a quick peek at his IMDb page shows that he has five movies in production. Uh, one has been completed, and one is currently finishing up post-production, which is Thor Ragnarok, apparently, so good for him. Next in the trove, it's not a movie, but it's been a long time coming. We finally got a trailer for Red Dead Redemption 2, the game many of us have been asking for a sequel for from Rockstar, but only now, after seven years, do we get any sign that it's coming. I actually think the game looks okay. Rockstar has this very identifiable character design. Whether it be in modern times with the Grand Theft Auto series, or it be in the Old West in the Red Dead Redemption series. And it's not bad. The games don't look bad. They just look, you can tell they're Rockstar. They just have this thing about them, that they're odd. They're a little odd. But the more I think about it, the more I think of Red Dead Redemption, the first game, the more I remember that I'm angry about it. And the most infuriating thing is that any of us who played it could have survived that final confrontation. But no, Marsden had to die. Well, moving on, we have another generic comedy. And yes, it does look funny. This is called Father Figures, and it stars Owen Wilson, Ed Helms, Glenn Close, J.K. Simmons, Terry Bradshaw, and Christopher Walken. It's about Owen Wilson and Ed Helms finding out that their mother doesn't know who the father is, so they go on a road trip to try and find out. The three men, it could be J.K. Simmons, Terry Bradshaw, and Christopher Walken, don't want it to be them, so hilarity ensues. 
We got a trailer from the BBC, and we're getting another documentary about the ocean. Blue Planet 2 looks amazing. There's like a five, six minute trailer out that shows a lot of amazing scenes of the ocean and animals in it, and I just can't wait. Blue Planet is one of my favorite documentaries of all time, and it's so well done. A lot of people jumped on the BBC bandwagon when Planet Earth came out, but the BBC has been doing great, great documentary work for a long time. Finally, we get a trailer for yet another movie this year about Winston Churchill, but this one looks way better than the others, and the others didn't look bad at all. This one is called Darkest Hour, and it takes place around the start of Britain's involvement in World War II. This stars Gary Oldman, an unrecognizable Gary Oldman, as Winston Churchill. Well, that is it for the trailer trove. Let's take this break to hear from our two friends in the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network, Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle. We'll be back. Imagine yourself on a journey with the somewhat nerdy radio podcast crew as we travel through forgotten realms and far-off galaxies. Your captains, the sensational Snarf Chris and the cunning Critter, constantly face an element of danger. Welcome to the Somewhat Nerdy Radio Podcast. The bright light in the podcast sphere. Download and subscribe Somewhat Nerdy Radio today on iTunes and SoundCloud or stream it at somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. Nerds in a Squared Circle on somewhatnerdy.com. Nerds in a Squared Circle on somewhatnerdy.com. Nerds of the Squared Circle on somewhatnerdy.com. Hi, I'm Sam Jericho of somewhatnerdy.com's Nerds of the Squared Circle. Join me... Starf Chris and the dude with the headband. We talk about wrestling and more wrestling. Do you like wrestling? Yeah. yeah. Then you should listen to our podcast. Do you not like wrestling? You should still listen to our podcast. Someone to read a comms, Nerds in the Squared Circle. Subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app today. Nerds in the Squared Circle on SomeoneNerdy.com. All right, everyone, we are back. And just think, soon there will be another promo to listen to. Woo! We're going to have one for my other show. Woo! Promos. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get on with the show. I'm going to start with a movie that I'm actually pretty excited for, because usually I start with crap, and the show just goes crap, 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 good movies at the end. Sometimes I'll sprinkle in some mediocre ones, but usually that's how it works. And this episode, I'm going to start with the movie called Walking Out. A teen is visiting his father, who is in Montana hunting big game. They struggle to connect, that is, until an encounter with a bear leaves the father unable to walk, and the son refuses to leave him behind. This stars the beautiful Matthew Bomer from White Collar and In Time, Josh Wiggins from Max, and Bill Pullman from Independence Day. Every so often, like every few episodes, I use a film as an example of how a movie can still look good even if it's been done a million times before. And okay, sure, sometimes movie can take ideas from a few different places and combine them into some beautiful Frankenstein movie, but still ideas can seem stale if the movie is done wrong. This one looks like it's done right. This movie looks like the gray and the edge had a baby, and this is one cute kid. A cute kid that's going to get mauled by a bear, but still, the film looks good. A father trying to reconnect with his estranged son. We've seen it. Two people getting f***ed with by a bear. We've seen it. People having to survive in the wilderness and get back to civilization. 
We've seen it. But this movie still looks entertaining. It's pieced together out of familiar movie ideas, yet it doesn't seem boring. And what's great about this movie is that it probably, it probably isn't going to use a lot of CG. That's because why not just film on location in Montana? In blistering cold, why the f*** am I here? It's so cold my balls are falling off. Montana. Still looks beautiful though. I've always wanted to go to Montana. It's it's one of my dream vacations just to see the beautiful landscapes and the amazing just nature out there. It looks amazing. The only reason I think they are going to use CG is because of the bear attack. Because animals in movies now, especially big animals like bears, lions, tigers, oh my! You knew you knew I was going to say that. Come on. Don't don't even pretend you didn't know I was going to make that joke. Okay, <laughs> especially those big animals are really protected and really watched out for. It's mainly in the movie because we're more aware of how animals are treated when it comes to our entertainment now. And technology is good enough that we can have a good bear attack without being obvious CG. But for the rest of it, I'm pretty sure they shot on location. Yep, they did. One look at their IMDb page it said filming locations, Montana. And fun fact, I scrolled down just a little more, and in the trivia section on the Walking Out page, it says, according to the directors, Christian Bale was almost cast in the role of Cal, played by Matthew Bomer. Ultimately, Bale decided against playing the part because he didn't want to spend time away from his family in a remote location so soon after the birth of his second child. Alright, A, good for him. I, I highly respect that decision. And B, I'm glad he said no, because I love Matthew Bomer. He needs a lot more love than he gets. He needs a lot more roles. He is beautiful. He can sing. And he can act. That, that's all we need. There's nothing else. Just put him in a movie with Ewan McGregor and Matt Damon, and it will leave me questioning my sexuality. Oh, an interesting fact. I just thought I'd Google it really quick. It looks like this movie used an actual grizzly. So there, fun fact for the day. But what this boils down to is that this is a movie that we've seen before. It just looks good despite the fact that it's not terribly original. We have good actors in it. It looks wonderfully shot, filmed on location, in the blistering cold, just to add to that need to stay warm, need to stay alive, and need to get home. So we're going to have a survival movie coupled with a father-son storyline, which can always hit guys right in the feels. And what this all comes down to is a movie that looks like it's going to be worth a watch. Unfortunately, it's not going to be worth a watch in theaters because A, it's not going to get a big release, and B, there's kind of another movie coming out this week that I think people should watch instead. This movie should definitely go on your to-be-watch list, and I think we will all enjoy it. Walking Out gets an 8 out of 11. Alright, let's jump into the next movie on the list, which is a movie called Overdrive. The Foster brothers are car thieves and they end up stealing from the wrong guy. In order to save their own lives, they must do a job for the man they've wronged. They must take on their hardest job yet. This stars Scott Eastwood from The Fate of the Furious and Ana de Armas from War Dogs. And welcome everyone to the unplanned pregnancy of the Fast and the Furious series and Need for Speed. This looks like a straight-to-VOD movie that somehow got Scott Eastwood and enough money to have effects that didn't look like sh**. 
but everything about this is boring and done before. The only people who this will appeal to is people who love movies like this, who love kind of heist movies. I don't really consider this a heist movie, but it just kind of feels like one because it has this lovable rogues thing going on with these car thieves who are just handsome and dashing and just seem like nice guys. And like, like what kind of fantasy world do thieves look that good? All right, but that's not really a criticism of the movie itself. This was actually the perfect movie to put after walking out because it's the polar opposite or maybe not the polar opposite but just opposite enough to prove my point where this movie has a bunch of ideas that we've seen before but doesn't really do it well enough for us to ignore the fact that it's old hat walking out had a lot going for it but this one really doesn't it looks so basic that it's going to be scott eastwood's most skippable movie yet i mean i like the guy i think he's a good actor he has some of his father's good looks and can actually act better than his father don't get me wrong i love clint eastwood but he had one character he was really good at it like really good at it but he had one character where scott eastwood looks like he can at least change up change it up a little bit not a whole lot mind you but just a little bit so even though i like scott eastwood this isn't enough to see this movie if you have any need to watch a movie like this just watch one of the early fast and furious just watch need for speed watch gone in 60 seconds watch any other movie just not this one overdrive gets a three out of 11. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we turn to our next release of the week, and that movie is called Brawl in Cell Block 99. Our former boxer turned drug runner lands in a prison battleground after a deal gets deadly. This stars Vince Vaughn from Wedding Crashers, Jennifer Carpenter from Dexter, and Don Johnson from Nash Bridges. And this looks like it has to be the least funny movie that Vince Vaughn has ever done since the breakup. Okay, I lie. I like the breakup. It was cute. But this is a drama. In fact, it's a crime thriller where he looks so beefy that it looks like he could beat the sh** out of the transporter and no one would blink an eye because they go, yes, of course this man beat him. Look at him. He is a walking brick house. If you had told me the premise of this movie, if you had told me what kind of tone you wanted to set with it, and you said, hey, who do you pick to be the main actor in it? I would never once have said Vince Vaughn. I like Vince Vaughn. I like him a lot. I think he's a really good actor, but I would never have picked him for this. And I'm really glad that I don't work in the movie industry because I would have made a terrible mistake because it looks like Vince Vaughn does a phenomenal job. Do you know who he really reminds me of is Vincent D'Onofrio as the Kingpin. Like, if in one episode of Daredevil, you just switch them, I think people would eventually notice, yes, but it might take them a while. They're like, okay, wow, he looks a little different. What is different about him? Oh, sh that's Vince Vaughn beating motherfuckers to death. And as for the other actors, I'm not very familiar with Jennifer Carpenter. I saw Dexter. I like the books better because I'm one of those ass. And Don Johnson has played these kind of roles before. Do you remember Django Unchained? Yes. 
Don Johnson is good at playing a scumbag. In fact, he's really good at it. So he's he played a cop for a long time on Miami Vice for about six years. And then for also about six years, he played a cop on Nash Bridges. So what we can expect from him is either a really good cop or a really good scumbag. It looks like he's playing a really good scumbag in this one. This movie looks dark and it looks like they put a very depressing Snapchat filter over the whole thing. Even the shots in bright daylight look a little grungy. This whole movie has this grindhouse kind of feel, and I, I really think that's a term people throw around without knowing what it really means. Did I just throw it out without knowing what it really means? No, you can't prove anything. I didn't just Google it to make sure I was right. <laughs> no, that's someone else you're thinking of, silly listener. But back to the movie... This looks good, but again, oh my god, I'm saying it again. Yes, I am. Not the kind of movie you should see in theaters. I'm not even sure if this is the kind of movie that you should see at home, because it does look good. It looks really good, in fact, but it also looks like it's going to be really dark, really slow-paced, really real. The kind of movie that takes a while to get going and is, is so slow that sometimes you check your watch, but the acting, there's something about the acting that keeps you in your seat because you just want to see more of Vince Vaughn. You want to see where the story is going, but then it gets so grimy and so honest with the world of crime, drug running, and prison that you're just kind of uncomfortable. If that is a kind of movie for you, check this out. It looks like it's going to be good. The ass that Rotten Tomatoes like it, all those dickbag critic sites are giving it at least a 75. And more importantly, people, regular people who have seen this are liking it. So that, I think, is the better way to look at it. I really don't have much else to say about the movie, because even though it does look good, it doesn't do enough to get me excited to see it. Am I going to put this on my list? Sure. If I see it on Netflix, am I going to put it on my queue? Sure. But the same can be said for a lot of movies. This does look good. It looks like we're going to get one of the best performances from Vince Vaughn yet, and that alone is worth putting it on your list. But nothing else screams watch me about this. It looks just good enough to get on people's radars, but not good enough to get a lot of effort to see it. Brawl in Cell Block 99 gets a 6 out of 11. We have two movies left to talk about before the break, and one of them is the first holiday movie of the season. But it's not a Halloween movie, nor is it Thanksgiving. The next movie is called Better Watch Out. Ashley was hoping for an easy night as she babysat 12-year-old Luke, but the night turned dark when a home invasion changed everything. But not in the way Ashley thinks. Luke has more in store than the bad guy knows. This stars Olivia de Jong from The Visit and Levi Miller from Pan. And you know how I like to combine two movies and say, oh, this movie looks like the love child between A movie and B movie. Well, the trailer for this film did it for me, and I racked my brain and I couldn't think of a better one. So here we go. Here's the one that I'm taking straight from the trailer. This is the love child between Home Alone and The Strangers. If you're thinking to yourself that, hey, that sounds like a weird combination. Well, it really is. Because The Strangers was anything but a comedy. And Home Alone 
was anything but scary. Yeah, true, the idea of a home invasion and being home alone, all that stuff can be a scary thought, but there's nothing actually scary about that movie. So now we have these two ideas from two totally different genres being combined into a movie that straddles both. It looks like from the trailer that there are times where it's really tense and really frightening, and then it also looks like there are times where it's funny. And also the way the trailer was cut and the way the premises have been worded on every website I've checked, makes it so I'm not sure exactly where it's going to go. There were scenes in the trailer that looked like the kid eventually becomes a bad guy, like he captures the guy that's trying to invade their home, but there's also parts where the babysitter's tied down. Is she tied up because maybe the bad guy got her? Or has this kid lost it? And the trailer really does jump back and forth. And I really like that. I really like that I cannot gather what's really going on. And also, this movie is a Christmas horror, or at least a Christmas thriller. And there is something very wonderful, very morbid about those, that we have this holiest of holidays. And even if you are not religious, it is at least a great holiday for being together with family, giving gifts, appreciating everyone, and just, you know, brotherly love. And then here is this person getting murdered. So this would be the perfect movie for early December, the movie to kind of get you into the mood for Christmas, and as you get closer to Christmas, have more and more classic Christmas movies. That being said, should this be watched now? No, I think this is the wrong time. I think you should just keep an eye on this movie and then put it on your Christmas movie list because I don't think this is the right time for it. I don't think that your Halloween movie list, your Halloween movie marathon, would benefit from this because this this is more of a thriller. So this is a Christmas thriller comedy, not the right kind of movie for October. Hell, maybe even around Thanksgiving or just past Thanksgiving you can put this on and it'll be enjoyable because it'll start getting you in the mood. But as for now skip this movie, even though it looks like it's going to be funny. It's not going to be great. It's just going to be silly. It's going to be over the top. It's going to be violent. It's going to be enjoyable. Better watch out. Gets a 6.5 out of 11. And all right, folks, if you've been counting, you know we have one more movie before the break, and that movie is called Dina. An eccentric suburban woman and a Walmart door greeter navigate their evolving relationship in this unconventional love story. This is actually a documentary about a woman named Dina Buno and a man named Scott Levin and how their relationship grows and I guess they eventually get married based on the trailer. But imagine a lot of the characters Steve Carell has played when he was still doing comedy, like the 40-year-old virgin, that kind of awkward person. And then imagine like Kate, Kate McKinnon, if you've ever saw the movie masterminds. That was Zach Galifianakis, Kristen Wiig, and uh, Kate McKinnon was in it. And she played this really awkward woman. And, and it looks like those characters that they played in those movies were based on Dina and Scott. And this raises a whole bunch of questions for me. Like I always say about documentaries, whether or not you see it or how excited you should be is really up to you and your history with the subject. For this, I don't know who this is really made for. Just because who here, raise your hand, is really interested in the subject of real-life romances between socially awkward people. Sure, I like it in my fiction. Uh, the show Atypical, it's on Netflix. It's a really good show. It's a comedy about this guy who's autistic and how he navigates wanting a relationship. But here's where I kind of just pose a question to myself 
So I liked that relationship in that story, or in that in that TV show, in Atypical. So why wouldn't I like it in Dina? Well, what else is there? Because Atypical is a really complex show with many different storylines going on at the same time, and Dina is a documentary about this couple. So I guess if you like the idea of watching a documentary about a couple who's just is trying to live their life, this truly unconventional couple. So if you think that would be interesting, then maybe this movie is for you. But one of the many questions that this movie brought to my mind when I was watching the trailer was how did anyone even find out about these people? Like, I, I am really interested in watching the extras more so than the actual movie. So when the DVD or Blu-ray comes out, watching the extras, because how? How did they discover these people? And then not just how they found them, why did they decide to make a movie? What about their story needed telling? When I was watching the trailer, I was certain that this was going to be a, not a mockumentary, because that sounds f***ed up to Dina and Scott, but a an indie comedy that was pretending to be a documentary. Kind of like when, if you remember back when Blair Witch came out, or if you're a little... If you're a little younger, and when the first Paranormal Activity came out, a lot of people are like, Oh my god, this is so real! Can you believe it? This all really happened! But if you looked it up on the internet, okay, maybe not the Blair Witch days, but at least the Paranormal Activity days, if you looked it up, it's very easy to find out that it wasn't real. This one, on the other hand, every sign points to it being an honest documentary. So this isn't some super indie comedy, but they really found these two people and decided to make a movie about their relationship and how they go from, I'm assuming, just dating to being married. And then this all brings us back to the why. Why would you see this? Sure, it looks cute. It looks like it has this kind of, I'm going to say the word again, unconventional charm. This movie looks like it's going to really endear these two people to you as you see them struggling to make it work. Like, do they have some sort of mental handicap or are they just odd? That last question, the answer to it doesn't really matter as far as the movie goes, because either way, it doesn't change how they act. But as for you and me, the question is still, why would we see this? And I probably won't see this. I mean, yes, sure, it looks cute, it looks like it could be enjoyable, but there's not enough to it that just makes me want to see it. So maybe if you out there, my future friends, if you watch a trailer for this and maybe something will resonate with you and go, yes, yes, I want to see this. Maybe you'll like it because it is being enjoyed so far, at least by critics and normal people alike. Everyone's agreeing on this so far. It's getting high scores, a, a meta score of 80. IMDb has a 7.6 out of 10. But now future flicks. What does future flicks give it? That's really tough. You know, sometimes my scores are really easy. What am I going to give this? Okay, obviously a zero, obviously a five, obviously a 10 and or 11. But for this one, geez. I, okay, I have it. Based on everything I said, we can sum it all up with this looking not bad, but not good either. Dina gets a five out of 11. All right, and that is it. That is it for the first half of the movies. Let's jump to a word from our friends at the Watch Your Mouth Podcast and the Uncork Gamers. Stay tuned. There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high-dollar dinners. And some just do it by clever internetting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth Podcast employ a different approach. 
wall-to-wall filthy fucking language go to a grocery store i'm like i know exactly what i need i get in there i'm like yeah <laughs> the yeah. did i even come here for with our charity swear jar every fucked up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction the motherfucker's a mouth breather gaming movies life musings it's all here served on a bed of fucks and garnished with a crown of shut the fuck up how the fuck did we get here fuck all that a jelly bean so if you want to hear us do good things with bad words check out the watch your mouth podcast on itunes SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at WIMpodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. I'm Dan. I'm Jeff. And we're the Uncore Gamers. Have you been looking for a video game podcast where people don't get insider knowledge, where people don't have access to games early, and they're just everyday Joes like you? Is that the same podcast that I've been looking for where sometimes we don't even talk about video games? That's right. This is the Uncore Gamers, the gaming podcast where we talk about games when there's gaming news. If there's not, we don't try to half-fist game stuff into your throat. We'll talk about things like the 90s, parenting. And the 80s? And the 80s. <laughs> All right. So if you're looking for a video game podcast where people make bad decisions just like you do in your everyday life, check out the Uncore Gamers. We're remember, all just a bunch of scumbags. So remember, if it isn't about video games, we'll find a way to make it about video games. All right, and we're back. Welcome back to the show. We have four movies left to talk about, and the next movie on the list is going to be the final indie movie that I'll be talking about, and that movie is called... The Florida Project. Set over one summer, the film follows precious six-year-old Moni as she courts mischief and adventure with her ragtag playmates and bonds with her rebellious but caring mother, all while living in the shadows of Disney World. The only famous person in this is Willem Dafoe, of course played the Green Goblin in the first set of Spider-Man movies. So you all know that whenever a trailer toots the movie's own horn too much, or really pulls from what critics say about it and then plasts it all over the trailer and says it's inspirational or it's life-changing, then I usually take a big old sh** on the movie. But every once in a while, there will be a movie that jerks itself off all throughout the trailer, and it still looks interesting. This one kind of does, though it looks like festival bait if I've ever seen it. As we've learned in the past, sometimes those can be good movies. This one looks like it was done really interestingly, because it's mostly about this child and her friends and the mischief they get into, but it's also about the adults around them. We have Willem Dafoe playing the owner of this motel that they're living at, and we have this newcomer named Bria Vinite or Vinite or something. And they have this whole thing where Willem Dafoe is worried about the children, but the mother, Hallie, just got a job and is trying to raise her kid, but leaves the child alone in this motel, much to the shock and dismay of Bobby, played by Willem Dafoe. So we have the kids doing their thing, all the while the adults are doing their thing. And from what I can tell from the trailer, it shows that kids aren't dumb. They know what's going on. And I truly believe this. I truly believe we don't give kids enough credit. Just because they still have imaginary friends and play pretend doesn't mean they don't know trouble when it's going on. Maybe they want to ignore it. Maybe they want to ignore it because even though they know trouble's going on, they don't know exactly what it is. So they pretend that nothing's happening. In this, it looks like Moni, or Mooney, M-O-O-N-E-E, that's a dumb name for a kid, is usually off doing her own thing with her friends, but is always aware of what's going on. 
The trailer praises this movie as capturing childhood, the most honest movie about childhood yet, or some shit like that. Praising writer-director Sean Baker, who did a movie called Tangerine, which is supposed to be big shit or something. Yeah, see, I'm already getting worked up. I hate it when trailers do that. Let your movie speak for itself. Don't shove the words of some blowhard critics all over the screen trying to convince us to see it. Show us your movie. Show us what it's about. Show us why it's great. Do not tell us. It's just like in writing, showing versus telling. In Stephen King's It, if he just told you about this murderous, shape-shifting clown who ate children, you'd be like, wow, that's kind of f***ed up. But since he showed it to you in the book, you're like, wow, that really is f***ed up. All right, but back to this movie. It, it looks good. It looks cute. But it looks ultimately skippable. And I think, unfortunately, as a studio, A24, of course, that's who's doing this, does that a lot. They will pick a project that will have something great about it, something truly wonderful, but it will be lackluster on everything else. And this looks like it's like that. It looks like it has good actors in it, really good actors. Willem Dafoe is great, and this kid looks fantastic. But the story just sounds boring. Maybe if they showed us a little bit more about how the kid is going to interact with the adult story, maybe that would make it a little more interesting. But right now, we're left with a movie that has good acting, but unfortunately not a lot else to offer. Yes, as always, this could be the case of a really bad trailer. But for right now, I'm just going to assume it's the movie itself. The Florida Project gets a 4 out of 11. Alright, my friends. What we have on the docket, the next movie, is going to have the chance of being a wonderful cluster. And that movie is called My Little Pony, the movie. A dark force threatens Ponyville, and the main... This is f***ing stupid. And the main six embark on an unforgettable journey beyond Equestria Equestria. Where they meet new friends and exciting challenges on a quest to use the magic of friendship to save their home. So you may be wondering why I said this movie could be a cluster f and that is because of the brony subculture. Because I bet you we're going to get reports of grown-ass men dressed up like f***ing ponies going to a theater sitting next to little children and watching this. And I will tell you a story. I used to love the Powerpuff Girls, and when I was... God, how old was I? The Powerpuff Girls movie came out in 2002, so I was 19 when it came out, and I went with my friend to see it. We saw it in the theaters, and I'm gonna be honest, we felt like creepy old f***s. And hell, we were just barely not children ourselves, okay? We were just out of high school and saw this, but there were a bunch of children in the theater. And this isn't like a Disney movie, where there's reasons for adults to be in theaters. Where when the new Pixar movie comes out, or when the new Disney movie comes out, adults will be like, yes, I would like to see this because these companies make good movies. No, this was a kid's cartoon that released a movie in theaters. And the same goes for My Little Pony. So I am not judging this movie as far as children children go because this has little kid written all over it so if you have children and they want to see this movie sure of course take them this looks like a great kids movie it really does and the power of friendship and magic and ponies and all that shit, yeah go watch it but 
remember, you may see some weird-ass grown men out there. But for the rest of us, for those of us who don't have kids, of course we're gonna skip this. If you don't remember, My Little Pony was created back in 1981 by Hasbro, and then it was turned into eventually cartoons, and now it's, it's pretty big. But unfortunately, it's grown past what it was. And now there's this huge subculture of grown-ass men who love this. And let me be very clear with something. If you just like My Little Pony and you're an adult man, an adult woman, it doesn't matter. You can like whatever you want. I, in particular, am singling out the people who create My Little Pony sexual fanfiction. I'm talking about the people that every time I go to a convention, there's gonna be one or two of these sick motherfuckers there with a My Little Pony body pillow, and those perverts are the only one who can out creep one of the guys with the Lolita body pillow. So once again, that's why I think this is going to be a cluster That's why I'm scared for this movie. Just because it's going to be the unfortunate clash of these two worlds. Of the children who honestly love this series. And hell, even some of the adults who just honestly like it, who think it's cute. I know quite a few people, grown-ass men and women, who love Steven Universe and, and cartoons like that. And that's fine. But then we have those two groups of people... And then we have the other people who are just 20 different types of creepy. So you know what? I actually haven't been talking about this as a movie enough. But that's because I don't have a lot to say. Let me reiterate the point. If you have children and they want to see this, or if you're just a regular person who thinks that this is a fun series and you want to see this, by all means, watch the movie. Just because I don't care and just because I don't like this series doesn't matter and should not affect you seen this at all. But if you are one of the other people I've been talking about this time, then please, please consider not being creepy as f when you go see this. But you know what? I'm done talking about this. Let's give it a review. As for a movie to take your kids to see, this is, looks really good. But as for a movie to see that we're going to use the bill score to judge, My Little Pony the Movie gets a 1 out of 11. Alright, does anyone need a bleach bath to feel clean again? No? Okay, well let's move on. We have two movies left this episode, and once again, we all know what the pick of the week is. But what isn't the pick of the week? What do we have left to talk about? The next movie on the list is called The Mountain Between Us. Stranded after a tragic plane crash, two strangers must forge a connection to survive the extreme elements of a remote snow-covered mountain. When they realize help is not coming, they embark on a perilous journey across the wilderness. This stars Idris Elba from Luther, Kate Winslet from Titanic, Bo Bridges from Stargate SG-1, and Dermot Moroney from The Grey. Hey guys, we have a similar movie coming out this week. That's right, the first time it's called Walking Out. But to this movie's credit, it is a little different. This time there's no father-son story, this time there's no bear trying to kill them, but we do have two people stranded out in the wilderness in a snowy as hell area. I think this movie picked a really unfortunate time to come out just because the movie it has to compete with has been talked about and buzzed about for so long that this is going to get lost in the shuffle. And even if this was the biggest movie to come out this week, I'm not sure if it would be my pick because I do think it looks good, but not good enough for a theater watch. I mean, I said a lot of good things about Walking Out, but even then, even if Walking Out was the biggest movie coming out this week, I would still wait to see it at home. But the fact of the matter is, even though we have two really good actors in this, even though it looks really well shot, 
this still doesn't look interesting enough. I also don't think that the trailers built this up enough. I've seen trailers here or there, but not nearly as many as I've seen for the pick of the week. Even on TV, I see snippets of the pick of the week all over the place, and I've only seen The Mountain Between Us mentioned either on trailers or interviews somewhere just a couple times. But still, this isn't a bad offering from Hollywood. And if you don't want to see the pick of the week, if you are against it because no, damn it, you're tired of these remakes and reboots and sequels coming years later, if you're tired of that, then maybe you will see this and maybe it will be good. But let's be honest, if we are watching a new movie this week, most of us are going to see the pick of the week. We're not going to see this one. But maybe, the more I think about it, maybe The Mountain Between Us picked the perfect time to come out. Just because it's sitting there waiting for people who are going to boycott or perp just purposely not watch the next movie. So they're sitting here going, hey, you don't want to see that? Are you angry that it got a sequel so late? Do you think it looks like crap? Do you think it's just more big budget Hollywood bullshit? Well, here I am. Sure, I've been done by 20th Century Fox and Chernin Group. Of course, but <laughs> it's not as big budget as, as the next movie, so you can watch me instead because I'm not a big budget blockbuster. So yeah, if you look at it that way, maybe this movie picked the good time to come out. Oh, oh, it just dawned on me. Okay, so this movie is about two people who are in a plane crash. The plane crashes in the middle of snowy hellhole nowhere. And then they have to rely on each other to get home. Dermot Mulroney, who is in this movie, though he's not one of the survivors in this one, I don't know what his role is, but he was also in The Grey, which is about a group of people whose plane crashes in the middle of snowy hell nowhere and need to rely on each other to get home. Except that one had wolves that were chasing him around. And then Liam Neeson had to become Wolf Puncher, which was a far better title for the movie. I think more people would have seen it if it wasn't called The Grey and was called Wolf Puncher instead. But of course there are differences between the two movies. This one is a man and a woman. The other one was all men. The other movie had wolves in it. This one has a puma. See, plenty of differences. Also, time will tell if this one is as hopeless and depressing as The Grey is. But I predict it's not going to be as hopeless and depressing. I think that at least one of them is going to survive. If one of them dies, it's going to be Idris Elba because he's going to sacrifice himself because he's a doctor who, who saves people. He's going to sacrifice himself for Kate Winslet, who's getting married. But of course, both of them could survive, but who knows how maimed they'd be at the end. But they will form a bond forever because they have survived the mountain between us. But let's wrap this up and get on to the big movie. This looks good. It really does, but not good enough to see in theaters. It looks like something you should put on your list to watch later, and not high up your list either. It should be somewhere in the middle, so if you miss it, you're not really missing out, but if you see it, you might watch something good. The Mountain Between Us gets a 6.5 out of 11. And with that, my friends, it is time for the pick of the week. And you all know that the pick of the week is Blade Runner 2049. A young Blade Runner's discovery of a long-buried secret leads him to track down former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. This stars Ryan Gosling from La La Land, Harrison Ford from Blade Runner, Ana de Armas in her second movie this week, she's from War Dogs, Jared Leto from Suicide Squad, Dave Bautista from Guardians of the Galaxy, and Robin Wright from The Princess Bride. This was written by Hampton Fancher, who wrote the first Blade Runner, and Michael Green, who was a writer on Logan, and directed by Denis Villeneuve, who directed Arrival and Sicario. So on paper, this movie has a lot going for it. It has big names 
as far as the actors goes. It has reliable writers and a reliable director, and even one of the writers is returning from the first movie. And we have an actor returning from the first movie. I think we're too gun-shy. I really do think we're too gun-shy when it comes to remakes, reboots, any of that, just because there have been so many bad ones. So I think we're not so willing to put our hopes into anything. When Star Wars The Force Awakens came out, or especially leading up to it, a lot of Star Wars fans had a really hard time getting excited. Sure, a lot of us were really excited, but there are a lot of fans, especially hardcore Star Wars fans, were just too scared. And now we have one of the biggest cult classic sci-fi movies of all time getting a sequel years later, and so many people are already set against it, even though all the trailers make it look fantastic, and everything about it so far says it looks really good. Those assholes at Rotten Tomatoes are giving it a 94%, and the Metacritic people even are looking on this nicely with an 82%. So these critics who forget so often that movies can be fun, who so often nitpick things to death, are enjoying this movie. And also, so far, fans who have been seeing this, people who have been granted early access, are liking it. And look at the big names in it. Let's let's forget Harrison Ford, okay? Let's, let's put him on the back burner for a bit. Let's look at Ryan Gosling, who has been a very reliable actor for a long time now, and does a great job. I have a few problems with La La Land. I didn't think it was great as everyone said it was, even though I re still really enjoyed it, but he was fantastic in that. A lot of people didn't like Drive, but I still think he was fantastic in that. And the big short, he was great. And then we have Dave Bautista, who has started to surprise everyone with his movie career because he's not that bad. In fact, he's good. He was really good in the two Guardians of the Galaxy movies because it's not that easy to play a character like Drax. You need really good timing. And then they throw Jared Leto into the mix, who I am positive is at least going to win two more Oscars in his career, at the very least two. A lot of people weren't happy with his take of the Joker, but he did a fantastic job. Sure, he wasn't the Heath Ledger Joker. Sure, he wasn't the Jack Nicholson Joker. Sure, he was not the Mark Hamill Joker. He was his own Joker and people need to get the f over it. So we have these accomplished actors in this movie that has a director who knows what he's doing. Have you seen Sicario? It was really good. Have you seen Arrival? I liked it. And the whole thing looks beautiful. And the soundtrack just brings me back to the first one. Sure, it's different. Of course it's different. Everything looks different about this, but at least it pays homage properly without being pandering. You know, I don't think I'm going to go off about this anymore. Just because... We all know it looks good. And if you've seen the trailers for this and you don't think it looks good, then there's nothing I can say. You are set against this for some weird reason. Maybe you have a gigantic stick up your ass. I don't know how you live your life, but for the rest of us, this is the movie to see this week. And in fact, this is the most interesting movie for the next couple weeks. I am really excited for this movie and I think everyone else should be too. I think this is a movie that we all need need to see in theaters just because of how visually stunning it's going to be. And like I've said already, this movie looks like it's paying plenty of homage to the first one, keeping the same feeling, having a lot feel the same, but without being pandering or forced. This is the movie to see this week. Blade Runner 2049 gets a 10 out of 11.
And before we go, ladies and gentlemen, as always, it is time for the question of the week. And last week's question was, what comedy movie can you rewatch over and over? So I'm going to start on Facebook. And so this time, Critter, I will not miss you. Critter answered. And he says, obviously, my favorite comedy movie is Ghostbusters. And yes, that is one of mine, too, though we'll get into mine at the end. Brian replied, and he said, The Jerk. Steve Martin is the funniest man alive. And you know what's funny? I brought up The Jerk. I forgot if it was on the show or somewhere not too long ago. And I had the idea that there should be a Blu-ray re-release or a, you know anniversary edition or something where they add one scene into the movie or at the end. So they get Steve Martin. They add one scene where he goes online and gets one of those DNA tests done through Ancestry.com or something like that. And it comes back that he's a little bit black. And I think that would be hilarious. Frat Matt answered. And Frat Matt said, Anchorman, Step Brothers, really too many to list. And yeah, I do think this was a question where it wasn't terribly easy just to pick one. Sure, Brian and Critter did it. But even I have a couple, just because when I feel down, or just if I want to watch a comedy, there are a lot of things I routinely pick from. Anchorman and Step Brothers are some of them. And now we turn to Instagram, where I actually got a lot of my answers from. I got six answers. The first one is from Jadeen, and Jadeen says, any of the Medea movies. And if you've listened to the show before, you know I have a love-hate relationship with Tyler Perry movies, because I like his Medea character. I think Medea is fun. I like Medea's standalone movies. I have laughed at those. I just have a lot of trouble with his movies that have these such stereotypical storylines are so boring and contrived and forced. But the Medea movies on her own are great. Chris, a friend from way back when, has two answers. Chris says, Oh brother, where art thou? And in Bruges, two amazing movies. I have to hand it to him though. Oh brother, where art thou? Isn't a movie I can just put on any time. Movies that I can put on anytime are really irreverent comedies or something that really holds a special place in my heart for my childhood. Though it's still a great movie, don't even get me wrong. Oh Brother Where Art Thou is a cinema classic. Alan F. answers and he says, What We Do in the Shadows. And thank you. I was hoping someone would say this. I mention this movie a lot. It's one of my... Actually, it's my favorite mockumentary. It's the movie that turned me on to Taika Waititi as a actor and director. It's a fantastic movie. Everyone should watch it. We got an answer from Jeff from the Uncorked Gamers. He says, what about Bob? That is a movie I haven't thought of in a long time. That was a movie back from 1994? Hold on, let me look it up. 1991, directed by Frank Oz, starring Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss. So Bill Murray was this crazy guy who just wouldn't leave his therapist alone. His therapist tries to go on vacation, and Bill Murray just tags along. And finally, before we get to my answer, we have an answer from Tatiana. Tatiana is a friend of mine, and she's also an editor and hardcore gamer wrestling fan, just a super nerd, and a wonderful dame, and also one of the few people I know who can drink me under the table. So she's an editor and contributor at The Coalition. She says, Arrested Development, but if we're talking movies, The Big Lebowski. And Arrested Development is dangerous for me, because I love the show, and I tried... 
I've tried many times to just put the show on as background noise, but I just get sucked in and I just start watching it from beginning to end and just start watching another one and another one and another one. Oh my God. I watched the whole first season. Where did my day go? And the Big Lebowski. Talk about classic. It's one of those movies that gets talked about so much that everyone loves so much as it almost grows old, but it doesn't because it's a big Lebowski. It's also a common answer, but guess what? It's a great movie. Always has been, always will be. And this is where I'm going to get in trouble with my fiance because Anne answered and I can't find her answer anywhere. I think she messaged me directly and I can't find it. So sweetie, I am sorry. And that brings up a good point. I am not perfect. I have missed people before. And sometimes people answer too late. And oh, oh, that's right. We, we had another answer. But for previous questions, Somewhat Nerdy's very own Herc says, and I quote, <clears throat> I'm going to play a little catch up on this one. Keep forgetting to answer once I get to work. First of all, favorite heist movie is Heat. If the word heist doesn't make you think about the shootout scene in Heat, then you need to watch it because you either forgot or missed it. The cast alone should have you watching this one. Favorite spy movie is 100% If Looks Could Kill. This movie has everything in it from hot women to fast cars to gadgets all wrapped up in a comedic bow. And as far as favorite sports movie, I would have to say Digstown. Again, an amazing cast on top of a great boxing slash con artist movie. And that makes me think Digstown and White Man Can't Jump, we have a sports con artist double feature. But after Herc said Heat, I was actually blown away that that didn't even occur to me. I love that movie. I, I remember when it came out and I convinced my grandpa to take me to see it, even though it totally wasn't a movie for a kid my age. I believe I was 12 or 13. It was the Michael Mann gangster movie starring Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, John Voight, Tom Sizemore, and a young Natalie Portman. Sh that's a good movie. I need to watch that again. But anyway, back to what I was saying. Always answer. You know, answer old questions, and I will bring it up on the next episode. Because right now, even with me posting on Twitter and Instagram, we're still getting more answers than we have ever before. Thank you, everyone, for answering. But still, we don't get so many that I can't always look up new comments and read off your answers to old questions. So until then, answer away. But just, you know, try and tweet me or hit me up on Instagram somewhere where I'll get a, where I'll get a notification for it. But what about me? What is the comedy I can rewatch over and over again? Well, I already said Ghostbusters, and it really is. I watch that movie many times a year, and I truly love it. But I have two other answers I want to throw onto that list. The first one is another old one, Airplane. It always makes me smile, and it's just genius. Actually, a lot of things with Leslie Nielsen in it, especially the Naked Gun movies. But then another movie that I watch, a comedy that I can rewatch and rewatch that's recent, a little more recent that is, is 21 Jump Street. Just because Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill have fantastic chemistry. But that is it, and that means it's time for the new question of the week. And instead of doing something themed like, what's your favorite this movie? What's your favorite that movie? I have been thinking about songs in movies a lot. Because this year, there have been a few movies that have had Country Roads as a big part of the movie. And I thought about how well placed that is. And now every time I hear that song, it brings back memories from the movies and makes me feel feelings. So keeping that in mind, here's my question. What is your favorite song? that you've heard in a movie, and what movie was it in? So let me word it a different way as well, just in case it's not very clear. Uh, the second wording would be, think about your favorite use of a song in a movie. What was a song, 
and what was the movie. And with that, we bring episode 61 to a close. Let's jump right into the housekeeping because it is late and I want to go to bed. You can find me on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast listening app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website, that's somewhatnerdy.com. I'd really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. I would love five stars or a like, or if you'd share the podcast, you know, leave a comment. Tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me what I need to improve on. How do you reach me? That is a great question. Leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or the Facebook page. Leave a comment on SoundCloud. Hit me up on Twitter at BilliamSWN. Instagram at BilliamSWN. Email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. Be sure to check out the Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle also on the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. And check out the Friends of the Show, the Watch Your Mouth Podcast, and the Uncorked Gamers. Also, don't forget to check out Big D, the Movie Hunter, on YouTube. Link, as always, in the show notes. And finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future friends, Please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off.